Anybody here love the Bible? Both of you. Let's stand and read the Bible. Let's stand and read the Bible. I, I, I believe God's given me a word. I, I have some stuff to say, but there's nothing more important than the words that are right here in, in this word. There's nothing more important, nothing that can change your life the way that this word does. So uh, any paper Bibles in the house? Any paper Bibles in the house? I, I, put this challenge, I put this challenge out there in first service, but I'm gonna do the same. If you're a father here or if your family's here with you and your family on your road doesn't have paper Bibles, take that responsibility and you go get your family some paper Bibles, all right? Personalize them, sign them, uh, make a moment out of it because I, I just firmly believe having a Bible in your hand. You can, you can play basketball without basketball shoes. You can play football without cleats, but it's better when you come equipped. Isn't that right? I think it's the same thing walking into church. You can come to church without a Bible, but I think it's a little better when we're equipped, you think? My wife agrees. <laughs> Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. A little tough to find. First chapter, first verse, first book of the Bible. This is where the paper Bible people are, are a, little, a, little, a little cocky today, like, oh, I know how to find that. The digital people are like, you have to find stuff? What do you mean? You just you scroll. Genesis chapter one. I'm gonna read verse one through four. Asking you to, Hear and honor the, the reading of the word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Let's move over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 in the New Testament, in the back half of your Bible. One of the Gospels. Read the short narrative, six verses. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, 46 through 52. And it says this. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you give us eyes to see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know you guys' living situations, whether you live in town or all these foothills people, or if you live in the South County, I don't, I don't know your living situation, but I, I, I will say this about my living situation. I live in an older home. And, 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 and the thing about it, I live in an older home, but it's cool because it's a family home. My, my wife, Karina, uh, grew, actually grew up in our house, in the house that we live in now, and she, 
She eventually, in her, in her late teens, got this dashing boyfriend that just swept her off her feet and right here at this house and, and, and then left for, left for school and, and her family lived there and then, and then we came back after college and then her family moved out and we moved into this home. So I wanna, say, I wanna make it clear that we've been in this home for a very long time. It's been in her family for a very long time. Now they renovated a bit and we renovated a bit and we, we honestly, we love our home. We've made so many great memories. It's a beautiful place. Uh, uh, our, both of our kids were born while living in this home. We started ministry while living in this home and, and, and weekly we have our, our leaders, our friends. Uh, we have people over every single week, every single week and, and we make lifelong memories there. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's still an older home, and when you live in an older home, you, you have a few different repairmen on, on speed dial, pretty much. You know, because in an older home, there's a few things that seem to always happen, and no matter what changes you can make, there's, there's some things that, you can, that always happen, and, and the thing that bugs me about it is, is when the repairman shows up, they always feel the need to remind you. You tell them what's going wrong, and they're like, well, you know, it's an older home. And it's like, I know that. Thank you for that understanding. I imagine if the doctor started off that way. Doc, my knees really bother me. That's an old knee, first of all. Like, we don't need to point that out. Just tell me how you can help me. But a few things that always go on, it seems like there's always an issue with pipes. Water's too hot only. Water's too cold only. No water. Large, you know, you're in an older neighborhood. Normally, it's one of the few areas in town where you have large trees. Large trees are great until those roots come all the way through the neighborhood to your pipes. Right, so, so, so some, some things that we deal with is stuff with the pipes. Another thing that goes on for some reason in, in older homes is, is, especially if you have a flat roof and you live in this scorching hot desert, if you're not living in this scorching hot desert, ignore this part online, but if you live in this scorching hot desert and you have a flat roof, there's always a leak somewhere. You can get your roof redone. You guys have come into this beautiful state-of-the-art building and seen orange buckets around this building at times because there's, there's just a leak somewhere. And it, you, you find out in that uh, one bit of two-inch rain that we have a year that there's a leak. But there's nothing more common, I believe, especially in central Yuma, Arizona, where we live, that happens at older homes than the fact that your power goes out so easy. Our power goes out so easy. Two weeks ago, Greg sneezed at our house and the power went out. Like, it, it doesn't take much at all. Like, like it could just be a, a little gust of wind. Like, are you kidding me? What's going on? Like, it's just, I just think it's, it's just the makeup of the older homes. It's just the build there. But how many understand, especially at night, when your power goes out and it's pitch black outside, all of a sudden it's not your home anymore. Like there was, there was, I remember one time the power went out, Karina was in, the, in, in our room and I was in the living room and the power went out and she didn't know if I just turned off all the lights or if the power, so, and she's like, babe, is that the power? And I'm in this pitch black room and all of a sudden I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Identify yourself. Like I'm in this, this place that's so familiar to me, but all of a sudden I'm like, I, you want me to go down that hallway and see you? Who God knows what's in that hallway, you know? So all of a sudden, just in this dark place. Another time, we had a friend over. We were having dinner, and, and the power went out, completely pitch black. And she goes, can you go get the flashlights from our room? Where's our room? I don't know this place. Not like this. I think it's because no matter how familiar and comfortable you are in a place, in a season, in a time, in a relationship, for some reason, it's tough to navigate when you're in the dark. When the light is up and the light is on, when there's light available, shall I say when the light is on it, when the light is piercing through, 
You can navigate that season, you can navigate that moment, you can navigate that relationship, but all of a sudden it becomes a completely different relationship when you're attempting to navigate it in the dark. When you get in a dark place, when you're having a dark time. Some people will agree that we're just living in a, in a dark times overall, in a dark season overall. Our society is dark. You, you turn on the news, and, and it seems like all the news is bad news. And you, you, you ask people how they're doing, and I'm hanging in there. And, oh, man, you know, there, there's just, there's, I don't, I firmly believe you don't have to go out and look for darkness. You don't have to go out and look for dark moments. You don't have to go out and look for tough times. There's times where you're navigating these moments and you're navigating this darkness. Some of you may be even thinking like, ah, ah, this is all I know. My family for generations has been marked by darkness. Every, everything, nothing I do feels blessed. Nothing I do feels, feels like there's any favor on it. No matter what I do, it goes wrong. I feel like I have this dark cloud over me in life. And I, I wanna talk to you about that a bit this morning. Some of you may just say it's just a bit of your life, like everything's fine, but that relationship feels dark. When I, when I walk into work, it feels dark. When I go into my school campus, it feels dark. For some reason, serving in this specific place feels, feels dark. When I have this conversation, when I think of this specific memory, it feels dark. I feel this darkness over it, and I'm trying to navigate that in the dark. Four things that we can observe from navigating in the dark. I think the first thing that we Notice the first thing we don't have to be taught, the first thing that we can recognize when you're in the dark is the fact that you experience fear and anxiety. When you are in the dark, you experience fear and anxiety, whether it's me being afraid of my own hallway or being afraid of taking that next step in life because you feel like it's so dark. You see, when you're in the dark, and I even mean this literally, when you're in the dark, it's hard enough to see where you are, let alone where you're supposed to be going. In the dark, it's hard to make out if you're even in the place you're supposed to be. Even in the place, can you, can you take that step with confidence? Can I step forward with confidence? Can I, can I, should I stay here or should I move forward? And, and it's hard enough to do that, let alone to say, can I have vision for the future? Can I have vision for what's ahead of me? Can I look and have some foresight? When you're in the dark, it's just so tough, nearly impossible. Another thing that we... Notice another thing that we see is, is in the dark, we begin to convince ourselves that we're lonely. We fall into this condition of loneliness. We talked about it before where, where loneliness can often be seen more as a condition than a position, but, but, but at times you're in the dark and there's someone ahead of you leading, someone behind you following, and someone pacing right there with you by your side, but because it's dark you don't see them, because you're navigating that, those relationships in a dark place that you don't acknowledge, see, or notice them, so you convince yourself that you're navigating that place and that season and that moment all by yourself. The darkness begins to convince you that you're alone and it lands you in this condition of loneliness. There's another, but I'm gonna need a little crowd participation. Are you guys with me? Is that okay? If there's someone next to you, you can choose either side. Can you just tap them on the shoulder? Just tap them on the shoulder. Okay, I just want to do that to indicate which couples are fighting right now. They didn't tap or move or anything. They just kept staring at me. It's all right. Altar workers are going to be available. We love you. Counseling, we have it all. I know I had you. I had you do that because you tapped a person on the shoulder, and I, 
I didn't see anyone get startled or jump. I mean, they knew it was coming. It's also in, in, in a very well lit space. But have you ever been in the dark and somebody come and tapped you on the shoulder? You're in a dark place, a dark room, and someone taps you. I'm not going to lie. There's times I'm in here in worship and someone taps me on the shoulder. <laughs> and you almost jump out of your shirt. Why? Because when you're in a dark place, even if it's a familiar place, even if it's a place that normally you're comfortable in, when you're in a dark place, you have heightened sensitivity. Heightened sensitivity. The things that normally wouldn't get to you now they get to you because you're in the dark place. The things that strike that fear in you, that wouldn't strike fear in you, now strike fear in you because you're in a dark place. You, 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 you don't know what to expect, so anything that, that, that comes your way, any, any touch, any feel, anything that normally, and even at times would bring you comfort, now brings anger out of you, brings fear out of you, brings emotions, unhealthy emotions out of you. You can be navigating a dark place and, 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 and your wife or your your, your, your kids or your boss or your friend makes a comment that they can make any time or may, uh, suggest something or even you're, you're, you're navigating through ministry and, and you're getting maybe uh, healthily corrected or, or, or you're being led through a moment and normally you would be fine but you're in the dark and you're having a dark season, you're having a dark moment and all of a sudden your heightened sensitivity causes you to lash out and you wish, man, I wish I can get that email back. How do you unsend a text? I wish my kids didn't see me do what I just did, hear me say what I just said. So many people at work saw me do that and they know I'm a Christian. I go to CTC. Goodness gracious, that's the whole reason I didn't put the sticker on my car. <laughs> but you have that heightened sensitivity and it brings things out of you that you wish you didn't do. I, now, on that note, I'm going to veer off just for a second and teach something that was taught to me, and I think it's, I think it's effective. I'm not, I, I, don't, I think there's some times where you, you do act uh, with, with, based on good Holy Spirit instincts, but there's also something called the HALT rule. Has anybody ever heard of that? The HALT rule. We love the HALT rule. And it says, don't respond immediately to an email or a text when you're in condition that you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. HALT. If they can tell Elijah to have a sandwich and take a nap before he makes any decisions, we can do the same. <laughs> Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, just halt for a moment. Because oftentimes, when we're in that dark, that dark space, if we just halt, we don't let that heightened sensitivity that we're experiencing become someone else's problem. And the last is this. I'm going to ask one more time for crowd participation, if, you, if you're willing. And see... I want to imagine if we turned off the, all these lights. In fact, go ahead and close your eyes. I'm not going to like, throw anything at you or anything, I promise. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about the fact if we asked you to navigate out of this building with all these chairs here and all these people here with your eyes closed, while keeping your eyes closed, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask what you would do with your hands in order to navigate out of this building with your eyes closed. One, two, three. Arms extended. And a lot of disobedience here in the building, but that's okay. <laughs> Arms extended. Why? Because when you're navigating in a dark time, though you may be in a familiar place, and though you may be full of understanding, it's that darkness that makes you begin 
to react and respond and be led by what you feel. To be led by your feelings. To be led by feelings that sometimes, as a matter of fact, I should say, oftentimes can be telling you wrong. Feelings that are deceiving you. Feelings, what you feel convincingly, convincing you that it's what you should know. But how many of you understand your feelings can tell you you're in the wrong place when you're in the right, and they can tell you that you're in the right place when you're in the wrong? Your feelings can tell you you're going full speed in the right direction when you're actually going in the wrong direction. Your feelings can tell you that there's a threat when there's help. Your feelings can tell you that there's help when it's actually a threat. I know all these things because I'm a youth pastor and I'm navigating them through dating. My gosh. That's your feelings. You're not deeply in love, you're in sixth grade. But here's the honest truth, even the Bible talks about how our heart can deceive us. And our feelings, what we can touch, what we convince ourselves with, is what we try to make decisions on when we're navigating in the dark. Now in Genesis chapter one, we, we read that, that the first written words of God, the first spoken words of God that, that, are, that are notated in the Bible is that he said, let there be light. Light was his first priority. His first spoken priority was light. And then he said, let's separate the, the light from the darkness. And he called the light good. But when he's called the light good and separated the light from the darkness, that should indicate to us that light and dark cannot coexist. Light and dark cannot coexist. If you are in the light, the true light, the darkness cannot penetrate it. And if you are in the darkness, the darkness cannot and will not survive if you allow the light in. There's no such thing as having both. They cannot coexist because the creator of the universe from the beginning of time separated them. But it's interesting when we talk about dark, seeing dark, experiencing dark, you think about a, a human condition that's actually possible that we've, some people have seen, some people, I don't know if anybody here has actually experienced, but there's this human condition that when, for one reason or another, there's an absence of the availability of light to be able to enter your brain. The absence of light being able to enter your brain and to enter your retinas of your eyes, to, and it has, does, doesn't give you the ability, doesn't give your eyes the ability, your brain the ability to create what we call these images and visions. It, and as a result of that, you have this condition that we call blindness. How many understand that even from a physiological position, from a scientific position, blindness is an absence of light? That's all it is. Blindness, being blind, is an absence of light. Now, I know there's, there's, there's different levels, but I'm talking someone who's completely blind, who's told they no longer can see at all, who were, who were maybe born. Matter of fact, uh, dec uh, I was going to say years, but more like decades ago, um, that we, we had a kid that uh, really was like a, a, a prodigy musician and, and there was a lot of stories written about him and, 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 and videos done about him and this is in the early 90s to where you know there wasn't no such thing as viral but he would have been but, but this kid was completely blind from birth and played probably about five different instruments on our worship team starting when he was like nine years old but there's a lot of and the thing the reason why this was such a supernatural thing is not because kids can't play instruments but he's playing instruments that he's never seen before but this condition of blindness puts us in a place where we have to live our life in the dark. 
And that brings us to the story in Mark chapter 10, this man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. In fact, that the Bible labels him and says he is a blind beggar. Imagine having that title put to your name, a blind beggar. I think that tells us plenty about his vocation, probably tells us a lot about his social life, tells us a lot about his relational life. He is a blind beggar. He's living his entire life with an absence of light. We can imagine and assume the fear and anxiety he has to face being a blind beggar. We can imagine and assume the loneliness that he experiences being a blind beggar. The heightened sensitivity, having to live his life as a blind beggar and the fact that he can only attain and only receive based on what he can go out and feel. And it says that in this moment in Mark chapter 10 that that Jesus is coming onto the scene. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, Bartimaeus begins to yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Now, in order to understand the desperation in his cry, we can't just look at the fact that this is a blind man that needs help. See, Bartimaeus, for for one way or another, had an understanding of what was written in the Old Testament. Because if he didn't have an understanding, he wouldn't call Jesus the son of David. But see, the son of David was was, uh, taught to us and told to us in, in the prophetic books of the Bible, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, they talk about this son of David, this man in the lineage of David who someday would come to earth and be all of our savior. So already we understand that there has to be some desperation in the voice of Bartimaeus because this savior is here. But in those same books, in the book of Isaiah, when you look, look at chapter 29, when you look at chapter 35, that not only does it say that he will be a savior and that will be set free and that we no longer have to live in bondage, but it says that he will open the deaf ears and open the blind eyes. Can you imagine being a blind man with this understanding, this spoken word, this spoken promise that someday a man will come that will set me free from spiritual bondness, my spiritual bondage, but also has the ability to open my blind eyes? This wasn't the type of desperation that makes you follow the car, and ask for a few more dollars. No, this was a desperate situation of a man who says, my solution, my answer, my salvation is finally here, and if I don't get to him, no one else is coming. There is no other solution. I've got to lift my voice and cry out until he hears me. And it says that the people attempted to quiet him down. This is such a painful thing to read, to read, such a frustrating thing to read because when they, the beginning of the chapter, it says that, I'm sorry, in the beginning of the, the passage, it says that these people are following Jesus as he's coming into Jericho. So, so, so are you telling me that people who are already in the presence of Jesus and people who can already see Jesus and people who are already following Jesus are looking at a broken and blind person who's desperate and crying out for mercy and crying out for help and you're looking back and you're trying to quiet him down? Broken voices speaking up saying, I need help. I don't know if I can get there. I don't know if he can hear me, but I need help. And followers of Jesus, people who can see him, people who understand his goodness, maybe even already experienced his goodness, look back and say, quiet down. Let me see what he has for me. 
they're already following him. They already can see him. And this voice is just getting louder and louder. Jesus being so intentional. Jesus in all his brilliance. I love how whenever he speaks, whenever he gives instructions, there's, there's, there's so much in it. I, I, I love how when he encountered Bar, uh, Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, when he, when he encountered Zacchaeus, there was, there was a large crowd and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree and he called Zacchaeus by name because it was a big deal to that crowd that this, this gangster, this person who steals, this person who was notorious for all the wrong things, hears his name called by Jesus. But see, now here in Mark chapter 10, instead of Jesus turning around, because it says Jesus heard him, instead of Jesus turning around and saying, Bartimaeus, come to me, he turns around to these quiet down people. He turns around to the crowd instead, and he says, bring him to me. He says to the people who are so occupied by what they can get from Jesus and the fact that they already can see Jesus and the fact that they're already following Jesus, they're so preoccupied with that. And he says, don't get so preoccupied with the fact that you're already following me that you miss the fact that someone is crying out for help. And it's your responsibility to go get them and bring them to me. And they go and I love what they say to Bartimaeus. They go to him and they say, cheer up. He's calling you. He's saying to come here. He's saying to come to him. The fact that they didn't know what Jesus was going to do. The fact that Jesus didn't say, go get him so I can heal him. The fact that Jesus didn't say, go get him so I can provide. But the fact that they understood that we're taking you to the presence of Jesus, we're walking you to the provision, we're walking you to the Savior, We're walking you to the one who can do what no one else can do. They told him ahead of time, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, you should already be of good cheer. Not because of what he's going to say or do, but because you are going to be in his presence. Too often, our cheer, our demeanor, our posture is too much based on what Jesus is going to do instead of the fact that by his grace and mercy allows us to be in his presence. So they tell him, cheer up. He wants to see you. But then they mention his coat. Then they mention his coat. Come on over with that, that James. They mention his coat, and I don't think they would mention the coat if it wasn't an important factor. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to become blind Bartimaeus just for a minute here. Wrap myself in the glory. Just wrap myself in the glory. (laughs) Worship team, you might need to come back already. I feel God right now. Gosh, I feel anointed. (laughs) But here's the deal. Bartimaeus, a blind man. Bartimaeus, a desperate man. Bartimaeus, a broken man. Has been told that he can come to Jesus. Has been told that Jesus heard his cry. He understands, even from the Old Testament writings, that Jesus has the ability to open his blind eyes, that Jesus has the ability to set him free, that Jesus has the ability to change the entire trajectory of his life. But Bartimaeus still has a decision to make. Why? The same way, the same reason why we have a decision to make. Because see, many of us, 
in moments and times and seasons and sometimes in our entire life, we are walking through in the dark blind. We are desperate and in different ways, we are crying out for help. Sometimes it's, it's through our addictions. Sometimes it's through our cutting. Sometimes it's through our temper. Sometimes it's through going from relationship to relationship, but we are crying out for help. And then when Jesus responds, we have a decision. Are we going to run to him or are we gonna stay right where we are for some reason comfortable? You see, Bartimaeus had a coat. He's a blind beggar, which means every single one of his possessions means a lot to him. They're hard to come by. In fact, that, that, that coat for Bartimaeus brought temporary comfort, brought tempor- a, a temporary solution. And he had to decide in the moment, am I going to stay here in this temporary solution or am I going to go to the one who can change it all? Too many times we, we sit here and we're desperate. We know we're blind. We know we're in the dark. And it's, but then we have to make a decision. Do I, do I want to throw off the friend group that's bringing me down? Do I wanna change the relationship status that I've just grown so comfortable in? Do I wanna change my schedule? Do I wanna go out of my way for prayer? Do I wanna go out of my way to go to the life group? Do I wanna go out out of my way to serve? And I I don't mean this in a religious way, but I hope you guys understand that there's danger in the comfort zone. There's danger clinging and holding on to temporary solutions. Temporary solutions will feel good from moment to moment but will never lead you to salvation, will never lead you to life change, will never lead you to true freedom. And in that moment when Bartimaeus was told to cheer up and go to Jesus, it says that he threw off his coat and went to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus, and once again, Jesus in all his brilliance, as Bartimaeus goes to him, Jesus asks a question that we may believe to be rhetorical, like why would he ask that? He goes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do, you want, what do you want me to do for you? Like, really? A blind man navigates his way to the Savior who in Isaiah was written that you can open blind eyes and you're going to ask me what you want me to do? I mean, I, I, Bartimaeus might have walked up to the wrong guy at first even. Like, this was a tough thing for him to do. And then he gets to Jesus and Jesus says, so what do you want me to do for you? But this is actually not outside of Jesus' character. If you remember the story in John chapter 8 when Jesus is, is, is with the lady who's caught in adultery and all these religious people have finally scattered because they understand uh, the weight of their own sin. When they finally scatter, Jesus looks to her and says, where are your accusers? What about the fact that, that Peter, in boldness, followed Jesus, dropped his nets, gave up being a fisherman, gave up everything he did to follow Jesus, and Jesus still looks to him and says, who do you say I am? Why? Because Jesus puts us in a position where we have the opportunity to declare. We have the opportunity to open up our mouth. We have an opportunity to speak to him, our savior. He's not a savior that just speaks. He's a savior that listens to the voice of his people. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? But I think there's another thing we can see in there. The fact that it puts Bartimaeus in position where he can ask for something that takes care of the symptoms or he can ask for the one thing that actually sets him free. Because oftentimes, we position ourselves in prayer, we position ourselves with an accountability partner, we position ourselves with our mentor, 
And everything we talk about when it comes to our desires is stuff that fixes the symptoms. If I only, if, imagine Bartimaeus, Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? you, you you're, you're blind, you're lost, you're living your life in the dark, what do you want me to do for you? I can really use a beautiful home. What do you want me to do for you? I could really use a wife in this life, and I, and I know you can do it. What do you want me to do for you? Give me a career that I can navigate while I'm still living in the dark. But instead, Bartimaeus bypasses all of that. In fact, he could probably care less about all those things in the moment, and he just says, I, I need your light in me so I can see. Bring light to these blind eyes. Allow me to see this savior that everyone else that's standing here around me gets to see and gets to follow. He says, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. I don't want to live in the dark anymore. If you're asking me what I want, I don't want to live in darkness anymore. That was a beautiful testimony this morning in that, that baptism. I don't want what the world has to offer. I want what only you have to give. I want to see. And Jesus, his first word in response was for him to go. He said, go, for your faith has made you well. Feel free to go and start a family. Feel free to go and now go build that home. Feel free to go and make that money. Go feel, feel free to go and find, find a spouse. You're, you're going to see that women are beautiful. Go check it out. But instead... It says that Bartimaeus received his sight instantly and that same sight that was given to him by this promised savior, he kept that same sight on the one who gave it to him and he followed. He followed. It would have made no sense for him to be set free and light to be brought to his eyes just so he can take that gift, that blessing and go focus it on something else. Taking this freedom available to him only through Jesus and putting all your effort and focus into something else that didn't die for you, that didn't save you, that can't set you free, that isn't going to revive you. Can you imagine? Bartimaeus said, you give me my sight, I'm going to follow you. I firmly believe that we know Bartimaeus' name because he became a person that followed Jesus, became a disciple of Jesus, became a person that was known to be in the company and in the presence of Jesus. There's so many... So many here that are navigating, whether it's a dark season, a dark moment. Some of you may say that everything about your, your history, everything about your, the generations that have come before you, everything about your decision-making has always just been dark. Always been dark. Never felt, never felt the light on your life. You never felt that you could see the future. And you have any vision. Struggle to even identify where you are steadily navigating these heightened sensitivities and feelings of loneliness and being led by your feelings all because you're living in the dark when, when the truth is the same light is available to you. The same light is available to your season. The same light is available to you in this moment. The same light is available to your family. Because like was said in Genesis, the darkness and the light cannot and will not coexist. A life with Jesus cannot be overtaken by darkness. A life lived in darkness cannot and will not remain once Jesus is let in. 
You see, we see Jesus do this physical miracle and bringing light to this, this man's eyes, bringing a supernatural transformation, I believe, to his spirit, but also to his physical body. And then we hear Jesus in John chapter 8 let us know that it's available for us too when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the same way as we're navigating this, this dark world, and we see the dark things that are going on when we're navigating, we're, we're, we're making our way through dark moments. And sometimes it has to do with raising your kids or, or, or what you experience at your school or, or, or even sometimes your, your memories or, or maybe it has a lot to do with where you live and, and you're navigating these things. And I wonder if we pursued the light the way that Bartimaeus did where he understood that there was available, an available savior and he cried out for him. And he didn't give up until he knew that savior heard his voice. And when that savior heard his voice, he was just fine with turning from what he knew before and following that Savior, putting his entire faith and hope in him, receiving his healing and restoration and following him for the rest of his days. You see, there's people here today who, who need to accept this Jesus for, for maybe the first time. There's some here who who may be walking with Jesus and may, may know Jesus as their personal savior, but, but, but say that there's, there's some dark areas in, in, in my life that I'm, I haven't allowed Jesus to be a part of. There's a darkness that seems to be over our family. There's a darkness that seems to be over this relationship that I'm in. There's a, there's a darkness that I seem to carry every time I'm in my workplace, every time I'm on my school campus, and maybe when I get in my room, there's... And I wanna tell you this morning that, that that light, that same light that brings life, that same restoring, powerful light is available to you this morning. I ask you not to focus so much on the fact that there's times that Jesus does illuminate your life and put his light on you. And there's times where we feel like, man, his light is on me. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling this momentum. I'm feeling this anointing. I'm feeling this revival. This, his light is on me. I feel limitless. And there's times even as a believer where you don't feel that way. But remember, even in the times where his light isn't on you, his light will always, when you accept him, be in you. There will always be a light available at the end of that tunnel. A light available that you can tap into through his spirit. A light available in you even as you navigate these dark times, this dark world, those dark moments. And I pray that we don't allow ourselves to be deceived to be deceived by looking at sometimes these, these, these superficial things, these things that we believe are gonna be the answer, these things that we believe are gonna bring a, a, a light to our, to our darkness. It talks about in Matthew, it says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actual darkness, how deep that darkness is. But at the same time, we can receive the same mercy as Bartimaeus. Why was he crying out, have mercy on me? Because he understood that this Jesus, though he was promised, and though he had all power in his hand, and though we, though we knew that he was gonna die on the cross for us, there was nothing about Bartimaeus that deserved that freedom. There was nothing about Bartimaeus that earned for Jesus to heal him. There's nothing about the life we lived, the life that we're living right now that deserves the power, the saving power of Jesus. There's nothing we can do 
to earn our salvation, to earn the love of Jesus, to earn the power of Jesus, but it's through his mercy and grace that he can set us free, that he's chosen to set us free by his grace, through faith. I love how in Proverbs it says, it even says to confess your sins and you will receive mercy. Turn from the old ways. Let go of the coat. Let go of the comfort and walk into his grace. Walk in his mercy, walk in his love. Because then when you allow him to be the lead, when you allow him to be the light, when you allow him to be your guide, even at times where it seems like you're treading on dark waters in dark places, you can look to his word and be reminded that his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light for your path. You can remember at times when you're, when you're facing fear where it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? What about some of us that at times feel these, these thoughts, these emotions, these temptations to say, man, am I becoming, am I, why am I thinking about becoming like who I am before Jesus where you can go to his word and he can say to you once again, you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Let's stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you right now in this moment. Altar workers, if you don't mind, please coming up because I, I really hope we have the opportunity to pray for some people this morning. There's a lot of decisions that can be made right there in your seat or right there online, but we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of agreement. We believe in taking a bold step, saying yes to Jesus, a bold step saying, saying yes, that I, I want to deal with some of the issues that are in my life saying yes to, 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 I want you to pray for my healing. I want you to pray for my restoration. I believe Jesus can do it. I want to give people that opportunity, but I want you to understand this. That healing of Bartimaeus and his eyes opening up or Jesus walking on the water, Jesus turning water into wine, it, it would all would have, would have meant nothing if he didn't die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, carrying our sins and shame going into the grave and resurrecting like he said he would. But he did do that. And his grace is enough and his love is enough. So now, through the invitation to his house, through the invitation by his love and through his presence, you have the opportunity, just like Bartimaeus, to make a decision to say yes to him. If you need Jesus, want to say yes to Jesus, if, there, if there's areas of your life that you want prayed for, if, if you need healing, if you, if you just want to partner with somebody, say, pray, pray, pray for me, what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my, my heart. When I'm, I'm going to pray for you now, but I also, I, I challenge you to allow one of these altar workers to pray with you. If you're, if you're online, to, to, to let us know in the chat that you want some prayer, you want someone to, to connect with you. That's what we want to do. We want to give you the opportunity, just like that man in the baptism had to where he said yes to Jesus and, and got to see not only himself, but his family walk in a whole new way, to live in a whole new freedom. And I want to read this before I pray over our church. Jesus was talking about this in Matthew chapter 5, what he made available through himself, who we get to be because of him. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house or all in the city. In the same way, CTC, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this holy moment. I thank you that your presence is mighty. I thank you that you are ministering to the people in a way that I cannot. You're you're ministering to needs. You're ministering to moments. You're bringing things to remembrance. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing right now. I ask that people understand that it's you, that the enemy uh, that is trying to distract them, that the enemy that's trying to convince them otherwise is defeated by your love, defeated by who you are. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in their minds, a work in their hearts. I thank you for these altar workers. I thank you for our online hosts. I thank you that we get to partner with people and pray for them, come alongside them. But more than anything else, I thank you for your bloodshed on the cross that gives us access to the creators of heaven and earth, that gives us an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that through your light, we don't have to walk in the bondage of fear and anxiety. We don't have to walk in the bondage of loneliness. We don't have to respond time and time again with heightened sensitivity, that we don't have to be led by what we feel, but but we are led by your truth and who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.